Ciao, amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Paolo Sorrentino's 2013 film, The Great Beauty, or La Grande Bellezza. First, as a few news items, I'm sad to share that director Lena Wertmuller has passed away at the age of 93. Her historic and artistic importance cannot be overstated as the first female filmmaker nominated for Best Director, and she constantly provoked and drove the conversation across her prolific career of two dozen movies. Her works include the outrageous breakout smashes Swept Away and Seven Beauties, as well as the neorealist Ivasiliski and many more movies. I had the pleasure of getting to see her in person back in 2019 at a double feature screen in Santa Monica around the same time that she received her honorary Academy Award. Now is as good time as any to revisit her works. A collection featuring her films has been added back to the Criterion channel, spanning her movies across the decades to really give a sense of how she honed her craft and voice as an artist over the years. Also new on Criterion channel is a new restoration of Vittorio De Sica's Palme d'Or winning Miracle in Milan, as well as a collection of Italian neorealism, featuring some of the all-time great Italian films like Rome Open City, Bicycle Thieves, La Strada, and many more. Cinecittà News reported that new 4K restorations are coming of Michelangelo Antonioni's films Red Desert and Story of a Love Affair, so hoping that new home video releases are coming soon to feature these new prints. On the awards circuit, Paolo Sorrentino's newest film, The Hand of God, is now available on Netflix. It's earned a nomination for the Golden Globe for Best Feature Film Not in the English Language, and it also made the Academy Awards shortlist for Best International Feature Film. Enrico Casarosa's animated film Luca also earned a Golden Globe nomination for Best Animated Feature Film, and also made the Academy Awards shortlist for that same category. Additionally, Luca earned eight Annie Award nominations, recognizing excellence in animated film and television, including Best Animated Feature Film, Outstanding Direction, and Outstanding Screenplay. I first got to see The Great Beauty back in 2014, when it was released in the US on home video by the Criterion Collection. I really liked it from that very first viewing, and it's been really great to revisit every so often ever since then. The Great Beauty follows Jep Gambardella, a writer who's just turned 65, and explores his life in Rome with his circle of friends in high society, his work as a journalist, his romantic pursuits, as well as digging into his past and youth growing up in Naples. While he is well-connected and successful, he doesn't seem totally satisfied with his life or with those around him. He finds a connection with Ramona, the adult daughter of his friend, and together they attend social gatherings, art exhibitions, and have late-night deep conversations. The vision of Rome as presented in this film is very much one of individuals who occasionally collide and come into contact. Upon turning age 65, 
Jeb realizes he doesn't want to spend his time left doing something he doesn't want to do, and his life and purpose take on a newer meaning with this realization. Many of the film's characters are artists of some sort, each working within their own unique media, driven by different factors, and an interesting split occurs with how their art is created and experienced. Among the different artists we see include our hero, Jep, who's a writer. He had written a novel called The Human Apparatus, published about 40 years ago, and now writes for a magazine. He's asked repeatedly to keep writing, when is he going to write his next novel, but the inspiration just hasn't hit him yet. We also have Jep's friend Romano, who doesn't seem to quite have broken out or find, found his spot artistically. He's something of a writer and performer, and throughout the course of the film, he writes and performs a solo show, which seems decently received by the audience. But critically and among their social group, no one seems to take him seriously. Even Jep, who is still a good friend to him, recognizes that Romano needs that bit of a leg up to really make it. And then we have three different types of artists that Jep experiences through his professional life. We have a photographer who goes unnamed, whose work started when his father began taking pictures of him every single day, starting at age 14. This literally lifelong piece continues into the photographer's adulthood. Guessing he's late 30s, perhaps older, and he displays his photos in an outdoor setting, the Loggia Villa Giulia, which is an almost overwhelming mosaic looking at this man's life from age 14 up through adulthood, day by day, looking at each snapshot across time. We also have a little girl artist named Carmelina, who's an acclaimed modern painter. She isn't quite as willing as the photographer to pursue the art her parents want her to. She wants to be a veterinarian and doesn't seem to have any interest in painting or the art world. At an art dealer's party, mostly filled with adults, she's forced to perform this almost rage-filled piece, picking up paint cans, throwing them at a massive canvas, and using her arms and body to mush everything together into abstract art. Throughout the performance, she screams and grunts, seems miserable, but when it's all done, she's made something visually striking. Another artist we encounter very early on is Talia Concept, who's a sort of performance artist. She performs this political, albeit hard-to-unpack, piece. She invites Jep to come interview her. When Jep presses her to understand more of her motivation or where her inspiration comes from, she sort of breaks down, and it becomes clear that even she herself doesn't understand the meaning of her work or where her drive or what it's all about. So we have two sort of buckets of artists. We have those who don't really understand the meaning of their art in Carmelina, the painter, and Talia Concept, the performance artist. There's very much a performative and forced aspect. They're creating art. They're creating art out of an obligation or because they're forced to. It doesn't flow naturally. It's not authentic. And then we have this other bucket of artists with that personal deep connection in the photographer and in Romano. These are works that are prepared, presumably in isolation, and then shared with an audience once they're refined and fully developed. There's an interesting split as well with how art is experienced in that individual versus collective setting. These collective experiences of art, thinking of the performance art and watching Carmelina at work, is that which feels more commodified or forced. 
while the work of the photographer in particular is experienced as an individual, exploring through the space and studying the images at one's own speed. What's on display there is the work itself and not the working, not the busyness of the artist. The individual versus collective experiences also expand outside of the world of art as a creation, but also finding meaning and truth to oneself, all within the chaos of contemporary Rome. How can one be an individual and not get lost within that collective? Many of the characters of the film are something of loners. From the very first moments, we get brief snapshots of individuals scattered around Rome in the early hours of the morning, whether on their way home from an all-nighter or out for an early start to the day. Everyone's days begin or end alone. Whomever they meet or get together with along the way, they're ultimately individual in their respective journeys. And even in moments of that greater collective, we still see individuals on the sidelines, outsiders both seen and unseen by those around them, who are visually staged differently and separated from that crowd. We get this in a very early moment at Jeff's 65th birthday party the masses are gathered, dancing around on the patio, and then we suddenly cut to a burlesque dancer alone in a window. Even the sound design is different. We get this sort of mellow electronic music, muffled, playing inside her, her sort of box performance space, which is a sharp contrast from the driving beat and bass drum from the music outside. At that same party, we're also introduced to Dadina, who's Jep's boss, the editor at the magazine who's physically shorter than everyone else. She looks bored and takes a long sip from her drink while everyone towers and dances over her. Another striking sequence showing individuals in a collective space is, in, again, in the late hours of the night, exploring around the Via Veneto high-class neighborhood of Rome. We see these different pockets of individuals, like a husband and wife eating dinner, not speaking to each other, a woman walking her dog, Perhaps the most visually striking instance in this little sequence is a limousine full of people and sitting in the backseat of the car is a woman looking out the window with a face of just such emptiness and despair as a blue light is cast over her. It's a sort of hyper-real moment, and it's a character we haven't seen before and we don't see again, but we get a flash of loneliness in this one little moment. In addition to just how characters are staged and lit, we also have individuals in a narrative sense. We have Ramona, who at over 40 years old is still a dancer. Her father says she's a little too old to be doing this, but she still pursues it as a career despite that age gap. We also have a figure who's known as the saint, who's an elderly nun about 100 years old, who's revered, set aside, admired, but is also sort of silenced by those around her. The institution of the church loves to parade her around, but doesn't really let her speak for herself. And then we have our protagonist in Jep. He's a sort of grand observer. He's originally from Naples and has lived in Rome for over 40 years, but he's still able to see the city with that objective outsider perspective. Jep and Ramona are two loners in their own way. And as a result, they're able to forge a connection and become almost inseparable. This makes her unexpected death that much heavier of a blow. For most of the film, and presumably much of Jep's life, he's always out on his own, going to parties and dinners or meeting with friends, but always a solo actor. 
once he meets Ramona, she becomes his plus one to public social gatherings as well as to quieter experiences just for them. In their relationship, perhaps there were kindred spirits and are able to witness and experience the chaos of Roman society together as two outsiders. A recurring drive mentioned throughout the film is the pursuit of beauty and who is worthy of it. When Jep and Ramona first meet, he asks her whether she has a family and adds that having a family is a beautiful thing. She replies that she knows, but she's not cut out for beautiful things. So something to kind of unpack here is what exactly is beauty? Thinking of representations of art in the film, we've got contemporary art, whether photography, performative, painting, both authentic and inauthentic, not to mention the beauty of Rome as an ancient and classical city through its architecture, artifacts, and ruins. There's a memorable quiet sequence of Jep and Ramona walking through a castle late at night, admiring the statues, paintings, and gardens. Perhaps this is Jep's way of showing her that yes, Ramona is worthy of beautiful things in these kinds of experiences. So there's beauty in a classical artistic sense versus these moments of an almost transcendent beauty. Not of art or architecture, but of humanity and the human experience. When speaking on the film, director Paolo Sorrentino says one image he thinks of that represents the film as a whole is that of the saint ascending the holy steps. This elderly nun has returned to Rome and one of her main stops is to climb the holy steps, which are believed to be the steps that Christ himself had walked on on his way to trial with Pontius Pilate. She's a shriveled, elderly, almost humpbacked woman, and to see her crawl up these massive steps is an image both slightly sad but also deeply moving and powerful to understand what an undertaking this must be for someone of her age and physical abilities but the passion and the pursuit she embodies in, in undertaking this journey anyway, it's something really striking. There's beauty within the hard work of living, persevering, and taking on these challenges. Tony Servillo, the actor who plays Jep, describes Rome as a city with so much beauty that it can be paralyzing. It stops you from acting or making choices. I've only been to Rome once, but I sort of agree with this take. Rome is quite literally an eternal city with these amazing ancient sites like the Roman Forum and the Colosseum, beautiful works of Renaissance art and architecture, the stunning buildings of Vatican City, the Tevere River. There's so much to do and so much to see that it, it is paralyzing. And this was experiencing Rome as a tourist, least of all as someone who actually lives there. This take is interesting as well. If beauty is a distraction, then is the inverse that sacrifice or that work, the things that you should be doing rather than the things that are distracting you. The film also shows us different characters who do find meaning among those distractions with that underlying question of, well, what is meaningful and what is not? A woman who's part of Jep's friend group, Stefania, is an interesting character in that she's a bit hypocritical. She loves to point fingers at others, but doesn't realize she falls short in her own ways as well. But when she talks about her life and her experiences, she does find value in her writing, her pursuit of work and trying new things. 
whether they panned out to something earth-shattering or not, the work and that pursuit is what she finds value in. Looking at the whole of her life, she's able to she's able to forge a sense of order and discipline to sum out what that meaning is. On the flip side, we get someone like Talia Concept, the performance artist, who can't even explain herself, least of all find meaning in what she does. The artists in the film that Jep does seem to admire, who do seem to create meaning or exhibit beauty, include the photographer, the saint, and the figure of a magician, none of whom Jep really interviews or press on their works. Perhaps the breaking down, interrogation, and picking apart of artists diminishes that sense of wonder, the art of inspiration, and beauty. These are works more to admire, not to study and break down. Another take on beauty could be the idea that it's something that's temporary or scarce. Thinking of Rome as such a beautiful city with this rich architecture, art, and so much more. As Tony Servillo says, if it's something of a distraction having this much beauty around, perhaps the way to handle it is almost to limit or filter how much beauty one can experience at a time. The phrase the great beauty is used by Jep towards the end of the film. The saint asks Jep why he didn't write another novel, and he replies that he was looking for the great beauty, but didn't find it. Where was he looking for it, though? Was it in high society, amid the crowds, chasing women, or was it through those quieter moments of life, experiencing it more as an individual in those quieter pockets of Rome? Other forms of beauty, or at least inspiration, seem to come following encounters with animals. These moments act as little pockets of truth, encounters with the natural world that renew a sense of self and direction. First, Jep has an encounter with a giraffe at the Baths of Caracalla, where he first sees a giraffe and then a magician named Arturo. Arturo says that tomorrow's performance will be performing his act with the vanishing giraffe. Jep asks if Arturo can make him disappear, to which he replies, it's just a trick. Jep's friend Romano appears briefly, and they have a little conversation, and when Jep turns around, the giraffe is gone. Right after, Jep revisits his friend Romano and tells him that he wants to begin writing again. Perhaps Jep was so stunned, in awe of the great creature before him, where any conscious, rational understanding of how to make it disappear is a sort of unsolvable, overwhelming great beauty, and hearing the magician reply that it's just a trick is it almost a humbling take on his own craft. Perhaps that's what empowers Jep to realize that it's all created and that he can conjure out his own forms of beauty. We get our second animal moment with the flamingos that appear outside Jep's apartment. The next morning after the saint falls asleep in his apartment, flamingos are scattered all over Jep's balcony. The saint asks Jep why he didn't write another book. And he replies that he was looking for the great beauty, but didn't find it. The saint replies that she only eats roots because roots are important. She closes her eyes and then literally blows the flamingos away and they scatter out across the horizon. Right after, Jep is on a boat and is brought back to his young adulthood and is inspired to begin his novel. The saint's reply that she only eats roots is sort of a twofold metaphor. By eating roots only, one is almost cleansing one's life by focusing on the essentials and not those distractions. And thinking of roots more literally, thinking to Jep's past and his background, perhaps he's lost sight of his own roots 
and his youth and upbringing during his time here in Rome. And to dig a little deeper into the line that the magician says, that it's just a trick. The film opens with a quote by Louis Ferdinand Céline, saying that the journey of life is entirely imaginary. Everything, people, animals, cities, things are all imagined. It's a novel, a fictitious narrative. This sentiment is reiterated in the film's final moments. Jeffrey calls his memories in voiceover as haggard, inconsistent flashes of beauty. Beyond there is what lies beyond. I don't deal with what lies beyond. Therefore, let this novel begin. After all, it's just a trick. There's a bit to unpack here. In a broader sense, the meaninglessness that Jep seems to regard much of his life, the parties, the social life, he can reduce down by disregarding it all as fictitious, as imaginary. He can disassociate and erase the parts of his life he doesn't value as mere fantasy. And perhaps it is all fake to some degree, and a fantasy that he willed into being. He describes his young adulthood, coming from Napoli to Rome as a young man, as a journey of self-actualization. He wanted to come to Rome and insert himself into high society, and to achieve the power to make or break parties. His becoming and creation of himself is a sort of trick. He conjured up the persona and lifestyle that he wanted for himself. And now, when he reflects back on his youth, where he was then and where he is now, the levity and meaninglessness he sees in his life perhaps can be regarded as lightly as a trick. It's a distraction and nothing more. One of the striking formal elements of the film is its use of music. Throughout its soundtrack, it's a pretty seamless blend of music, both classical, operatic, as well as with contemporary dance music. Songs that tend to recall the past or have a sense of timelessness have an almost ethereal, like echoey quality, which is a contrast to the contemporary dance music we'll hear, especially in the party scenes, with a loud pulsating bass drum. Something else to note is that one song in particular, the Beatitudes, is heard four times. We first hear it one night when Jep is walking home and he encounters a beautiful woman and they have a brief moment looking each other eye to eye before continuing on their way. We hear it a second time when Jep meets the photographer displaying the photos of himself taken every day since he was a child. We hear it a third time when a married couple, the nobles for hire, return home, and the wife goes to a museum to visit her baby crib and reconnect with her past. And then for a fourth and final time, during the closing credits, as we're gliding along the Tevere River, as images of runners, boats, passers-by on the bridge, and the Castel Sant'Angelo flow around us. Each of the moments that the song is heard are are sequences of an almost transcendent beauty with longing, possibility, and a connection with the past. In terms of reflecting Italian society and culture, 
you could make a whole vacation visiting all the locales of this film. It's all over contemporary Rome, including the Piazza Navona, the Baths of Caracalla, the Tevere River, the Castel Sant'Angelo, and many more. In particular, one spot that caught my eye was where Jep's apartment is located, literally across the street from the Colosseum. He has an incredible view of one of the world's great landmarks, and he walks right by it and never seems to look at it and admire his view. This sort of ties back to the accessibility versus scarcity of beauty. Perhaps there's greater reverence for what's scarce and more ambivalence to what's everyday, considering he never really gives the Colosseum a second look. The setting is contemporary, presumably 2013-2012, but it feels pretty timeless. There's not really excessive technology or contemporary references. Music is the main timestamp that pulls us into the 2000s. Director Paolo Sorrentino says that the impetus for the film came from the novel The Mortal Wound by Raffaele La Capria, about a middle-aged Neapolitan who returns to the place of his youth to step away from his unhappy life. There's certainly parallels there to The Great Beauty, where Jep, unsatisfied with his life in Rome, digs into his memories of Naples and his coming of age. Sorrentino also describes Jep as a Charon-like figure, referencing Charon from Dante's The Divine Comedy. Charon is the ferryman who escorts the dead into hell, and in a way, Jep is like an outside observer who can blend in with hell, in this case Roman high society, but with that external awareness as a writer and observer. In terms of Sorrentino's filmography, this is his sixth feature film, in between two English-language movies, This Must Be The Place from 2011 and Youth from 2015. This is definitely my favorite Sorrentino film that I've seen so far. From what I've experienced so far from his earlier work, this one feels like a really watershed turning point in terms of more grandiose themes and a flashier style in terms of camera work, staging, and just sheer scope. Thematically, The Great Beauty reminds me quite a bit of J.D. Salinger's novel, The Catcher in the Rye. There are many different takes on this great American novel, but what I come away with is a story of an individual who desperately yearns for connection and beauty that is largely unsuccessful in their attempts to find it, but is still optimistic and hopeful and confident that the beauty is out there, you just have to uncover it. In The Great Beauty, Jep often seems to be settling for his everyday lifestyle, but there are moments where his heart is open, such as with Ramona, and where he is truly inspired and moved, like with the photographer, and he finds these pockets of meaning amidst the chaos. In terms of other Italian films, you know, there's certainly parallels with La Dolce Vita in the sense of observing and critiquing contemporary Rome from the perspective of a journalist who seemingly knows better and is above it, but still participates and benefits from the connections, romantic pursuits, and power that he holds within Roman society. An important distinction for the great beauty, though, is that our protagonist, Jep, is a Neapolitan, so not someone who is from Rome and has always been part of the madness. His story, as, it, as he tells it at least, is fully self-made, while Marcello from La Dolce Vita in some ways seems to be following his father's footsteps, or at least following his father's fantasies in pursuing that cosmopolitan lifestyle.
As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, rate and review the show. And until next time, ciao amici.